Good morning. Um, last service I talked about it, and it was kind of off the cuff, but I'm going to talk about it again in this service because I only feel like it's fair. Um, if you guys have read the news or listened to the news, there's like a, there's a revival going on in Asbury, Kentucky. It has gone on now for like two weeks. Two weeks. And... What I find, which is the saddest thing that I find, is that, like, we have Christians, like believers, who are critical of it. That makes no sense. Why are we spending so much time being critical of a revival when we need to be fighting hell, when we need to be breaking generational curses? And that's the first thing. And I love revival. And when I heard about it, everything in me wanted to go, right? I want to go there, and I want to experience it. And I just sense the Holy Spirit's just like, be it. You don't have to go there. I am good in you right here in Memphis, Tennessee. You don't have to go to, to a revival. You can be the revival. And, I, and from what I understand in my heart, listen, guys, I want you guys to know this, that revival is happening. And the beauty about this revival is that there's no, like, fog machine. There's no fancy lights. There's no big-name speaker. There's no big-name worship band. There's no song that they're releasing. This literally happened because the posture of people's heart was to seek the Lord, and he just showed up, and they just stayed. And I believe that the same thing can happen with a group of people, with a group of saints who are just like, Lord, we just want you and nothing else. We just want you. I am so thankful that that revival is happening, but revival needs to happen in our hearts and in our homes as well. We don't have to go to Asbury to experience the Holy Spirit. We can be right here in Memphis and say, Lord God, there's revival happening right here. And here's the beauty about, about God and how he does revivals. All revivals don't look the same. Yes, there's a point where everyone's coming into that room, into that space, and that's beautiful. But revival doesn't always have to look like look like staying in a space. Revival can also look like leaving the walls of the church to share the gospel. Revival can look like a family being made whole. Revival can look like a marriage being made one again. Revival can look like children turning away from their waywardness and following the Lord. What revival is is just a focus on the Holy Spirit. It's just a focus on God to where he becomes our attention. He becomes our number one affection. Don't get me wrong. I want to go. I want to be like, oh, that's awesome. I want to be a part of it. But I believe the Holy Spirit's just like, why do you want to be a part of that? I'm a part of you. And whatever's happening there can happen right here, right on Madison Street here in Memphis, Tennessee. Amen? I know. I don't, I'm not trying to dash some of y'all's hopes. It's just like, oh, Pastor, I want to go. Yes. If you can, go, go. Amen, go. But at the same time, don't, you don't do revival. You live revival. You live every day as if God made you new. You live every day as if his mercies are new. So amen. We have been talking around the table because when we look at scripture, we see so much ministry happening around the table. There's a book somewhere online that shows that Jesus ate his way through the New Testament. Jesus was always around the table. He always understood that for good conversation to happen, that for transformation to happen, it needs to happen around a table. 
Because I find, I don't know if you guys find the same thing, that's when most of people's guards are down. Because we're about to eat. I ain't got no guards up. I'm ready for this food. I could be sitting at the table with my enemies. I'm like, we're going to eat, though? <laughs> okay, I'll listen to you, but don't talk too loud. Right? God knew that the, that the table is so disarming. It's so like, hey, everyone can put down their agendas and just receive what the Lord has for them. And so last week we spoke about preparation and the working definition of preparation. For believers, preparation is the actionable faith response that positions us in proper condition to receive the promises of God. That if we want to receive the promises of God, we must prepare for the promises of God. And the reason why some of us haven't received all that God has for us is because we haven't prepared. Preparation, I, I, and this week I really, I believe with all of my heart that the Lord wants to teach us to focus on the essentials. On the essentials. And I know when I say essentials, some of us think of like the pandemic when you're an essential worker. I had a whole identity crisis when they were like, are you an essential worker? I'm like, I don't know. I just share the gospel. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and then if you're into fashion, you think of like Jerry Lorenzo's essential or, or people are wearing essential across their chest. And you're like, oh, am I essential? Am I essential worker? I want to be an essential worker. <laughs> she said, no, you don't. I'm essential to the kingdom. Um, <laughs> essential just means of, of the utmost importance. Of the utmost importance. No matter how long we've been walking with the Lord, there are sometimes we lose track of the essential things that really matter to the Lord. Let's be honest. Let's be transparent. Some of us have been walking with God for so long, been going to church, and those things are fantastic. But at some point, we lost the essential things that mattered to God. We did. I pray that if you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to examine you right now in this message, He can and will reveal practices in your life that to the outside world look great and appear Christian, but don't even honor the Father anymore. Think about, I have this illustration. Think about it like this. Let's say you go to a three-star Michelin restaurant, right? And you order a burger. Mm. Mm. And it comes out, and it's a toasted bun. The sesame seeds seem to be placed in very distinctive spots. The lettuce, crisp. Green, the tomatoes, yeah. uh, tomatoes, cut the right size. As they say in Memphis, the pickles. <laughs> I didn't know pickles had an R until I moved to Memphis. You want some prickles? I was like, what? <laughs> Prick, prickles. I was like, what? A pickle? A P-I-C-K-L-E-S? Pickles are placed wonderfully on it has whatever sauce they put on it. Caramelized onions placed on the bottom as, the, as they well should be. The patty looks like it was cooked, like it took, took time, took precision. And you pick it up because you need two hands for this thing. It's a two hamburger. 
And you're like, and you say your little prayer, Jesus, thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. And you go, take a big bite, and you pull back, and you look at it, and the meat's raw. It's spoiled. And you're like, what is this? I thought I ordered a, this is a three Michelin star restaurant. And you call the waiter. I don't like sending things back because I'm paranoid. I don't like sending things back. I just would have sat there and be like, nah, I'm just going to have a soup. Can you come fix this? He comes. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. We're so sorry. You know, it's like, how is this thing dead and alive at the same time? Why is this happening? He goes, he, you know, they do a rush job and they bring you out a burger. Now the, the bun isn't as nice. You could tell that they just took the lettuce from the other sandwich and threw it on there. It's kind of rushed. The cheese ain't even melted the way it should be. You pick it up, you take a bite. It's the best seasoned burger you had in your life. Best thing. You rave about it. I believe that's like some of us, right? There's some believers and some people where we look good on the inside and everything looks like we have it together. But then when someone comes into our life and they were to take a bite out of our life, they realize that the inside of us is undercooked. They realize that, you know what, you are not what you present as you say you are. And I think a lot of us get caught up in that sometimes. We present so well, but yet the fruit that bears is non-nourishing. You see, sometimes we look at it, we look at the outside and like, that person has it together. That person's doing well. That person looks like they're succeeding. But on the inside, they're dead. They're dead. We get into the practice of appearing like good Christians. And if we're really transparent, we do these things to look good to others. Because if I can look good, people will think that I'm doing well. But if we are transparent right now, some of us look so good on the outside, yet we're dying slowly on the inside. And the fruit that we're bearing... Looks good on a tree, but when you pull it down, it's rotten. Everyone ever do that? You go like to Jones Orchard here in Memphis, and you just go and you go apple picking or whatever fruit picking. I don't do all that stuff, but I'm going to go to the store. (laughs) It's another joke for another time. (laughs) I don't do all that. But you pick the fruit, and then you press down on it, and it's rotten. Or there is an animal or some type of bug in it. That's why I also don't do that. <laughs> it's rotten on the inside. I find that sometimes the, the more you walk with Christ, the more you just get into these religious practices that make us feel good but don't honor the Father anymore. We get into this religious performance where we perform really well as a Christian, we look really good on social media, but yet on the inside we are tired, we are stressed out, we don't even pray anymore, but we look good. It says it in Micah 15.8, Matthew 15.8, excuse me, 
He says, these people honor me with, with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teaching are merely human rules. I want us to focus on the essentials of what Christ talked about. There are so many things that we as Christians believe are essential that the Lord is like, that's not important to me. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what society you're a part of. I don't care what's on your paycheck. All that is rottening anyways. What's essential to the Lord? In another verse in Matthew, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't we do that for you, Lord? Didn't I set up and tear down for, at church for you, Lord? Didn't I give $2 away for you, Lord? Didn't I do all these things for you? I did it for you. And then he says, he tells them plainly, I don't, I don't, I didn't know you though. You see, we want our actions to look like Christ while our heart doesn't. God is not concerned about sanctifying our actions. He wants to sanctify our hearts. He wants to sanctify our hearts. He doesn't want to just to do good things and to feel good about ourselves. He wants us to live in his goodness and in his mercy. He doesn't look for a performance. He looks for us. He's like, I don't care about the things that you do. I care about your heart. God didn't give us this entire love letter for, for religious practices. He didn't give us to say, here are some religious practices you should do, and when you do these things, you're good. This love letter leads us to right relationship with God. Practices are not evil on their own. But with the right heart posture, practices build intimacy with the Lord. You see, you have to, I want you guys to walk away. This is the main part of, part of the message. If you don't hear anything I say and you go into a doom scroll on TikTok or Instagram right now, hear this one thing. God's desire is that you walk in intimate relationship with him. Intimate relationship. And when I say intimate, I know some people think sexually. No, there's not a sexual thing. Intimate relationship means to know somebody. The way you know your mother, the way you know your father, the way you know brothers and sisters. He wants intimate relationship. And out of the intimate relationship, do I th do the things that he does? I don't do them because it just makes me feel good. I don't serve because it's, oh, this will make me feel good and I won't have to deal with guilt. I don't give because it makes me feel good. I give because I am in an intimate relationship with my Savior. Practices are evil when they become performances to impress men and not yielded to the Father. Right? We see that. We see that in Scripture. It says that when Jesus was at the temple at a young age of 12, it says that he grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and then man. A lot of us like to reverse the two, and we want to grow in favor with man and don't really care if we grow in favor with God. 
And therefore, the things, the way that we serve, the way that we serve, we get so burnt out with serving and we get so burnt out with church because we feel obligated to do these things and not excited to serve the kingdom. Jesus did not save you for religious performance. That's not, I want to set some of you guys free today. Some of you guys feel like, oh, I have to go to church, or I have to give. I have to do it, because I have to. I have to. You don't have to do any of that. It's from the place of active relationship with Christ that says, Lord God, thank you. I have the opportunity to do this. Thank you. I, I, I get to do this, because guess what? I don't, I don't have to do this for my salvation. I get to serve you. I get to be in community. I want to be because you chose to be in community. Jesus, listen, if we believe who Jesus says he was, right, that he was 100% man and 100% God, you think he needed to walk with 12 dudes who are uneducated? No. He's like, I get, I get to do this. I get to walk with these 12 men. I get to pour into them. I get to live life with them. Jesus could have been good all by himself, but he chose to circle himself with people. My hope for today's message is that some of us are set free from whatever religious performance we maintain to look righteous and holy and that we cling to intimacy and relationship with Jesus because he makes us righteous and holy. The things that you do don't make you clean. The way you serve the church doesn't make you clean. It doesn't make you a better person. I'm a better person. No, Jesus makes you better. Jesus makes you clean. Jesus makes you righteous. And the things you do come from an overflow of how good he's been to you. So you're like, I got to be good to someone else. God has been so good to me and I don't even deserve it. You think this is a condemnation of you guys? This entire week, it's been a reflection of me looking in the mirror. I'm like, what religious thing have I placed in my life to think I needed that? There was a time in my life, listen, saints, hear me when I say this. Look at me in the eyeballs. Okay, I see you. There was a time where I attached my salvation to my tithe, where I attached forgiveness to my tithe. This is real. This is real, 100% real. Someone's deciding to drill now. Where I would say, I'd go through the entire week, pray, I'd mess up, I'd sin, I'd fall short, and then I'd give my tithe on Sunday and be like, God, I'm good with you now, huh? And God was like, keep your money. I don't need your money. Your money doesn't sanctify you. Your money is not your salvation. Your tithe is not your salvation. I'm your salvation. I'm your peace. I make you righteous. I make you holy. But there are many times... And it happens. We don't mean for it to happen, but we like to attach our salvation to the things we do in a church. You know how many times I'm from New York? From New York. It's a little different. I came to the South. Ministry in New York is very different from ministry in the South. You ask someone, you know Jesus? F you. Amen. I guess you don't. I guess you don't. Keep your Jesus. Oh, you definitely don't know him. But I'm going to show him to you anyways. In the South, I came down here, I'm like, you believe in Jesus? I go to this church. That's not what I asked. Do you believe in Jesus? I go to this church. Okay, if I stand in a garage, does it make me a car? No. <laughs> I'm asking, do you have a relationship 
with Jesus. There's a difference. There is a difference. And here in Luke 11, 37, it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, he was talking to a Pharisee. A Pharisee invited him to eat with him. We all know Jesus would have been canceled if he was alive today. How could you go have dinner with a Pharisee? Y'all don't understand. Jesus was broke, y'all. All his disciples was broke. They, he literally says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. So if someone invited him to dinner, I'm sure Jesus was like, I have been hungry the past couple days. <laughs> hey, Peter, call all the boys. <laughs> We're going to go eat at this Pharisee's house. What? How could you eat at this Pharisee's house? You hungry? Okay. It says he reclined, when he, when he went in, he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first do the ceremonial hand washing before he sat down. The Pharisee looks at Jesus and he's like, oh, you don't, I got a little bit of, you don't want no hand sanitizer? You don't want to like wash your hands? You don't want to make, because they believed at that time that you could have went throughout your day. It was very dusty at that time. They didn't have paved roads. It was very dusty. They believed that you could have touched something or been around something that defiled your whole being. And so he's like, you're not going to wash your hands. And that same attitude still exists in the church today, which is like, you're going to come to church looking like that? You're going to come and bring all your drama to the church? You're not going to go get clean? You're not going to go get your life together before you come to church? Isn't it funny that the man who would cleanse him of his sins, he's asking him to cleanse his outward hands, and yet the Lord is like, I'm trying to cleanse your heart if you would let me. But that's how we operate sometimes. We want someone to go get their life together and then come to church. It doesn't work like that. Jesus says, bring all your mess. Bring all your junk. Bring it. Because when you're in my presence, I will clean it all. From the inside out, I will clean it all. That mindset still exists. Uh, you know how many people I've talked to are just like, ah, oh, Pastor, I can't. if I walked into the church, a building would fall on me. No, that's called poor building. It's a terrible building. Oh, if I walked into church, if I got near the doors, I'd get struck by lightning. There would be a ton of dead people in front of the church doors every single time. But by his grace and mercy, he goes, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. But God, I'm too dirty. I will clean you up. The Pharisees, and I noticed something. That sometimes, as believers, we're so focused on what, some, what someone looks at on the outside that we forget that God has to change the inside of someone. We forget that we used to look a mess, too. We forget that Jesus didn't create space for only the people who look permissible to come into church. He's like, no, no, no. If you're a pimp, if you're a prostitute, if you're a drug dealer, if, if you're, if you're a, whatever you are, guess what? Those doors, you can come in. You're welcomed here. If you're a liar, if you're greedy, 
There's space for you here. You don't got to go and clean yourself up. There's nowhere in this earth that will help you clean yourself up. See, once I change the inside, I can change the outside as well. And you, some of y'all, you have to understand that he wants to change the inside. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean he's going to change everything you look like. He wants to change your heart. The Pharisee was like, Lord, you're not going to wash your hands? He told them, the man who cleans and forgives sins that he's not going to wash his physical hands. He got so caught up in religious practice that he missed who he invited into the house. He missed it. He missed it. How many of us missed the blessing because it didn't look polished? How many of us missed the blessing because it didn't look like how I would do it? Don't you know? That your message is messy at first? It's messy at first. There's some of us who are just on the journey and all we need is for someone to say, you're messy? Yeah, me too. God is making us clean together. There are some houseless people who have walked up to me in the street, look a mess, have a smell, have an odor to them, and they've blessed me with their words. They blessed me with their presence because I had the opportunity to pray with them. They had the opportunity to pray for me, some of them. But if I, if, if I was high and righteous, I'm like, oh, I can't hug you. You smell. I can't hug you. You're dirty. You're filthy. And those are the ones that the Lord pursues. Because he's like, someone's got to love them. Sometimes we miss the blessing because we're so caught up in what it's packaged in. He says, this is in verse 39, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees! Because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked grave with which people walk over without knowing. In another part of the gospel, it says, Woe to you because you are whitewashed tombs. Though you are clean on the inside, you are dead. On, you are clean on the outside, you are dead on the inside. This is in the constant nature of Christ. This is the constant nature of Christ. If you think God is impressed by how many followers you have, he's not. If you think God is impressed with how many subfixes you have after your name, he's not. A degree in theology doesn't make you closer to God. A master's in divinity doesn't make you closer to God. Being a part of a large church or a small church doesn't get you closer to God. All your works don't make you cleaner to God. I know that's what the world approves you of and makes you feel good about, but that's not what gets you closer to God. You know what gets you closer to God? Jesus. 
And it's only by Jesus do you get close to God. It's only by Jesus does he wash you clean and bring you closer to himself. It's only Jesus. Because we evaluate people by what we can see. It says it in Samuel. Right? Look at the Old Testament in Samuel. He shows up to Jesse. He goes, Jesse, one of your sons are going to be anointed king. And Jesse goes, oh, you see my oldest son? Look, at he looked just like me. He's strong. He's built. Look at that jawline, sharp. He's beautiful, beautiful. Samuel goes, that's not it. And then Jesse goes, oh, that's not him? Move to the side, move to the side, move to the side. This is my second son. He's kind of pretty. He got money. He's got a wife. He's taking care of, look at him. He's got 45 children. Samuel goes, that's not him either. Jesse goes through all of his sons. And then Jesse goes, well, who is it? Oh, David. That's right. David. I would have been angry. I would have been like, don't call me into no house. <laughs> I'm going to stay right out here. David walks in. Now, mind you, David was in the field. David was tending to his sheep. That means David smelled a certain way. David was a little dirty. And here he comes. And the Lord goes, anoint him. Because in, in Samuel 16, 7, it says, don't consider the appearance or their height, for I have rejected them. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. The people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, I want you guys to hear my heart that the Lord is not looking for external practices. He's looking for an inward transformation. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for external ritualistic things. He doesn't keep tally in heaven like, oh, you went to church this Sunday. Check. I'm going to bless you. Up, oh, you gave that houseless guy a dollar. Check. I will bless you now. He doesn't grade on that scale. He looks at your heart and says, what's the posture of your heart? Are you trying to be more like my son? Are you trying to look like him? Some of us, we look at pastors in the past recent years. How many of us have seen pastors go public with failures? And we look at them and we say, they're so inspiring. Even me, who's just a man. They're so inspiring. Listen, if at any point my heart wavers from the Lord, please stop coming to church. Find another church. If my behaviors look opposite from what my father looks like, don't come to this church. You have every right to say I'm leaving. I'll probably agree with you. Paul says in Scripture, follow me as I follow the Lord. Do you know what that also tells me? Stop following me when I stop following the Lord. And it's not by the things I do. It's not by the things I put my hands to. It's not the things I give money to. It's the posture in which I've humbled myself before the Lord and said, you are my Savior. In you I do everything. Show me. Lead me. Lead me. He says, I'll lead you behind, beside still waters. Jesus is telling the Pharisee that what he, that what the Pharisee considers essential is not essential, it's just a performance. There are some of us right now 
who are serving either at another church or at this church, if you're visiting or even online, you go to church, but you don't go to church because you are overflowed with joy. You go to church because you felt like you are obligated to. Because your parents just told you you need to go to church on Sunday. Because culture just told you you need to go to church on Sunday. The Lord doesn't want you in church because you feel obligated to. You go to church because you're like, I have this overwhelming worship that I want to give my father. This past weekend, it was just all worship. Friday, we had a women's night. Worship. Friday, we had a men's leadership meeting. Worship. A leadership breakfast. Worship. Do you know that worship is not just confined to Sunday, right? That when your lifestyle is sacrificial and it's an active relationship with God, you're not just waiting to come on Sunday. Some of y'all come into Sunday dry. Thank God I made it because I was about to cuss that man out. Oh, my God. All right, here I come into the... If worship becomes a lifestyle, you're like, I can't wait to come to church to worship with my family because we're worshiping for an audience of one. I've been in overflow this whole week. Some of y'all need to get in a place of overflow where you're like, listen, Sunday, Lord, I'm worshiping you today, but uh, with my family, you're going to get this praise. (laughs) It happens all the time. It happens all the time. You know you act different when you get around your family. You know you act different when you get around your family. You guys have a family reunion. You're a whole different person. You're excited. You're empowered. That's what Sundays are supposed to be. I'm empowered. I'm excited. I've been worshiping this whole week. Can't wait to get in the house. Can't wait to see my brother. Can't wait to serve the Lord. And guess what? Even if you did nothing that week, because Lord knows I want to do nothing some weeks. I want to do nothing Monday to Sunday if I could. Jeremy, what you doing? Nothing. What are you playing tomorrow? Looking like nothing. What would you feed your kids? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. They know what a cabinet is. They can feed themselves. Nothing. He says, what you look at as essential is just a performance. And the question is like, am I humble and yielding enough to the spirit to allow the spirit to call out what I think is essential and what he thinks is essential? Are we yielded to the Holy Spirit enough to say, Father, what's essential to you? What, have be- what has in my life become a religious performance instead of a sacrifice of praise? This has been a, a mirror-looking moment this week because there are some things in my life where the Spirit was like, that's a performance. You're just performing. If I stand on this stage without the power of the Holy Spirit, performance. If I know how to move your emotions, but yet the Spirit hasn't planted a seed, performance. If I read my Bible to check it off my box, performance. If I only listen to worship music because I like the song, but it never impacts my behavior or my view of God, performance. Don't you think the world is tired of performance, Christians? They're so tired of performance Christians. Why do you think the whole entire nation is in so in shock by this revival that's happening in Asbury? Because they are so tired of performance. They just want to see Christians who are active in a relationship and who just love the Lord. They just want to see that. That's what the world, that's what God is like. Will you just walk in relationship with me? 
Do you, see, when you're walking in holy relationship with God, you can say yes to things and you can give things a holy no. Hey, you want to hang out? Nope. Mm-mm. I don't even feel bad. Mm-mm. Hey, we're doing this. Could you do that? Nope. Nope. The Lord didn't lead me to that. Mm-mm. Not this week. Some of you guys are doing things begrudgingly. Just like, then don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you don't have the right heart and the right attitude on it, don't do it. I'm sure the Lord would rather preserve your sanctity if you didn't do it with the right heart than to do it with begrudgingly. The Lord is like, keep it. Your offering is a stench to me anyways. Just keep it. T- take it. Return it. Oh, I got to do this with my church. You don't have to do anything with your church. You don't have to. I'm going to set you free. Oh, I'm setting some of y'all free right now. You don't have to do anything. You see, when you're in right relationship and active relationship with the Lord, you don't see it as, oh, I have to do it. It's just like, man, I cannot wait to serve because I know there's someone coming in this place who needs to meet Jesus. And if it's me, amen. And if it's someone else, amen. But I get to do this. I get to serve my father. I am so full of his presence. I can't help but pour out. I can't help but pour out. You don't have to do anything. Listen, Tasha and I, we've said this in our marriage. Like, we let our yes, our, let our yes be yes and our no be no. If we, there are sometimes we say yes to something and then y'all know this. And when that day comes, you just lay down in that bed for two seconds. You're like, oh, we have that to do. Oh, I really don't want to go. And we look at each other. We don't got to go. We don't got to go. I'm like, nope. We said yes. We said yes, so we're going to show. And I find in times when we said yes to something that we really don't want to go to, we end up going, and we end up getting blessed. And it's like, man, how selfish were we that we were going to say no? We end up getting blessed. Or we end up blessing someone who is like, I'm so thankful you were here. All the time. It never fails. You muster up the energy, and you're like, oh. All right, we're going to go because we said our yes is going to be yes. You want, listen, for someone in this room, the reason why the, the unbeliever in your life can't hear your testimony or can't hear the gospel is because you keep on saying yes to something and not showing up. That speaks louder than anything else. You love Jesus, huh? You a Christian, huh? I asked you to come to something, yeah, and you didn't show up. And you said you would. You want to know why you're not having any impact or power in that relationship? Because you're not showing up when you said you would. If you don't want to go, give them a holy no. Don't even, like, you know, some of y'all know the Christian way of saying no. I'm going to pray about that. No, you're not. Just say no. No, you're not. Just say no. I'm setting you free today. Don't say, I'm going to pray about that. (laughs) No. If you need practice, have children. No. No. If you need practice working kids ministry, cannot no. There are things I say no to because I'm like, ah, you know what? Nah, I can't do that. And it's better. It strengthens my testimony as a believer because I didn't set up a false precedent. I didn't set up a false facade and then not show up. I told him from the beginning, no. 
You, some of us think that it's the big things that honor God, and God is like, just honor them with what you say. Honor them with what you do. Honor them with your behavior. I don't want someone to be like, well, I can't, I can't, you don't have any power, you can't share the gospel with me because, pastor, you said you would do these things and you didn't come through. It's okay if someone asks for an answer to be like, let me wait on that. I don't have an answer right now. It's okay. You see, what's essential to the Pharisees wasn't essential to Jesus. Don't you know that, like, what's essential to God is different than what's essential to religion? It says it. Where can we find the essentials? Pastor, where are the essentials? It says in Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, O person, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what are some questions that we can ask ourselves? Because we don't want to be whitewashed tombs. We don't want to look good on the inside and yet dead and decay on the, uh, on the outside and then dead and decay on the inside. What's a good question? Am I walking with the Lord right now? Do I have an active relationship with the Lord right now? Or do I just do things that look like it? Every, I didn't, this term is new to me. Everyone's like, I'm struggling with imposter syndrome. Anyone ever heard of that recently? I didn't even know that was a thing. Imposter syndrome. You hear it and then you start like, is that me? And I'm, am, I think I am who I am. Am I acting like someone else who's not me? You don't struggle with imposter syndrome when you know who your identity is. There's no syndrome to be impostered. I'm a child of the Most High God, I know that. Everything I do, everything I live is for his honor and for his glory alone. Because how do I, how do I know this? Because I walk with him. I talk with him. He knows my name. I know his name. I call on him when I need him. He's there for me. I, there's no way I'm struggling with this imposter syndrome because I know who I am in my father. I know that he sings over me. I know that he rejoices over me. There's no imposter here. And though I may struggle, my identity is not found in my shortcomings. You see, that's when you become an imposter, when you find your identity in your shortcomings. And you start doing things that will make you seem righteous to God. And God is like, you don't have to do anything to seem righteous to me. My son paid it all on that cross. He did it all. He paid for all the sin. He paid for all your works. And it's only through him, through his death, his resurrection, his blood, does he wash over you. You don't have to be an imposter at all because he paid it all. You're true and true. But God, I fell short. I know you're going to fail short. That doesn't make you an imposter. It makes you someone who has a body. It makes you a person. It makes you real. But it's by my grace and my mercy do I call you out of your shortcomings and call you into my son. I had a friend of mine who claimed that. He's like, I think I'm dealing with imposter syndrome. I was like, brother, you need to get me a word. You need to start knowing, talking to your father more. You can't struggle with imposter syndrome if you know who you are. 
I know I'm not an imposter. I am who I am through and through, and I know I'm redeemed, restored, and sanctified. And guess what? If I mess up because I'm a man, it's okay because in Christ Jesus, he says, I've made it new. When I come to repentance and I come to reconciliation, there's no more imposter syndrome because I'm saying, God, I'm actually abandoning that whole imposter of thinking I'm just a sinful person, and I'm clinging on to this saint-filled life and this son and daughter name that you call me. Some of y'all need to talk to yourselves in the mirror. I'm not an imposter. I'm a son of the Most High God. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. Some of y'all have thoughts about yourself that are so wicked. You need to tell yourself, self, huh? <laughs> we are a son today. We're a, we're a, some of y'all need to be like, nope, I'm not going to think that about myself. I am fully and complete in Christ Jesus. I am fully and complete. In, I lack Nothing. See, that's when the Lord starts cleaning the inside. And it's not that you don't do those things anymore. It's just like, that doesn't line up with my identity. I don't do those things because that's not what I value anymore. Oh, and then you have your friends. You think you're better than us. I'm not better than you. I am not better than you. I just have an identity in Christ. You can get it too. But if you want to have your identity in the world, go and have your identity in the world. You're going to always think I'm better than you. See, sometimes y'all take internalized when people say that too seriously. When you need to be like, that's between you and the Lord, baby. I ain't got no business in that. You want to project your lack of self-identity on me? No, no, no. I just know who I am. It says to walk humbly. It says to act justly. Being just is not the standard of justice that this world has, because I want you to hear something. This American government, this government that we live in, they do not know justice. You want to know who does know justice? The Lord. Do you want to know how I can look at someone who committed horrible acts? Because how many of us have seen people on this earth, and I'm going to say some real things, you're like, that's not me, and you're lying. Mm. Where, we, where we see someone who, do, uh, uh, who does horrible atrocities, and we go, they deserve to die. I would kill them. I would take them out myself. I know y'all got quiet. You're like, oh, the pastor, that's awkward. You've had the thoughts. Don't act, like, don't act brand new with me. You've had those thoughts? Their sin is terrible. They committed an atrocity. They are horrible. They deserve to die. And yet I'm standing here with the same thing on my head like, ooh, I remember that sin. I deserve to die. I remember when I hated my spouse. I remember when I hated my brother. But pastor, that's different. Hate is different from murder. Oh, yeah? Well, Jesus says if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder already. I didn't put that standard. He did. Jesus said, if you looked at a woman or a man lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I didn't set that standard. So when he says to act justly is to look at people in view of scripture, in view of the gospel and say, man, you did something horrible and atrocious. But guess what? My Jesus just says that you are worth saving. That his blood covers the atrocity, that his blood covers the sin. And as hard is that for me to say, because some of us got exes that you're like, ah, I wish you'd stub your toe at night every single night, right? 
As hard as it is for say, I pray God's mercy and grace and blessing on your life. Justice is saying, Lord, even though they committed an atrocity and you will bring about your justice, your justice is higher than my justice. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your grace is higher than my grace. And as much as I'd like to hold the scales of justice of what I think is right and I think is fair, I have to look in the word and the scripture to say, you know what? I, he's gotta, they got to pay for what they did, but their life is not in my hands. It belongs to the Lord. It's hard to say. It's hard to say that. There are some people like we really believe like, you know what? They don't deserve to live. They took the life. They did all these horrible, atrocious things. I don't think they deserve grace. I don't think they deserve mercy. And somehow we forget our testimony that we didn't deserve grace and we didn't deserve mercy either. It's hard. But he says, act justly. Act right. Live right. Live equitably. That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. I find that people who don't share their testimony often do not share the gospel often either. Because your testimony is a constant reminder of what God did in your life. It's a constant, it always brings it to the, that's why it says don't think of yourself better than the next person. Say your testimony. Be, what lies in your testimony? The gospel, each and every time. Man, you know, I used to be just like that. I used to be, some of us had uh, hoish behaviors before the Lord. And you're like, Pastor, can you say that? We did. We slept around. We did things that we shouldn't have been doing. But here's the beauty of your testimony. It says, but God cleaned me up. I don't identify as that. I don't move like that anymore. God has made me clean. He's laid to bed all the things that people have said about me. And I get to stand new in Christ Jesus. That's a beauty of the, that's the beauty of the gospel. This is why it's good news. Good news. You don't have to identify with your past. You can be brand new in Christ Jesus. That's good news. I can't wait to share that news. I can't wait to tell the prostitute, guess what? When you come to Jesus, all that, he's forgotten it. It's no more. I can't wait to tell the drug dealer all those drugs that you dealt. You have to pay for all those things. But guess what? On the scales of Christ, Jesus paid it all. And he's offering new life in you. That's good news. That's good news. I can't wait to tell the porn addict, I struggled with what you struggled with. You don't have to live there anymore. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be ashamed. It's good news when you come to him because you can repent for all of that. And he chooses not to remember. That's good news. What's wild is that the Pharisee just couldn't see the man who was sitting in the room. And it was good news because Jesus invites him into that. He says, if you give your money to the poor and love God, this is good news for you. He gives him a warning. That's what woe means. It's a warning. Woe is you. Drake was riding around the six in his woes. All the warnings from the Lord, and he ain't get it. He ain't get it. He missed it. God gave him a warning. He said, woe is you. And here's, hear my heart. That the Pharisee could have received mercy, salvation, and grace if he would have repented. You want to hear something else? And I'll probably have 
theologians maybe disagree with me. If Judas repented, he could have received that same mercy and grace. If Judas just would have waited three days, all he had to do was wait three days, Jesus would have came out the grave, and the same way he forgave Peter, he said, Judas, this grace can be for you too. Jesus comes out the grave, what does he say? The first thing he says, tell the disciples and Peter. The guy who denied me, the guy who cursed my name before I died, and I told him he was going to do it, he didn't listen to me. Tell the disciples and Peter. I wonder if Judas would have waited three days if Jesus would have said, tell the disciples and Peter and Judas that I'm alive. You see, I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. I don't want this church, I don't want our family to be a people that say we love people but don't move like we love people. Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the issue. He's like, it's not the things you do that are good, it's the things that you don't do that are evil. It says it in Scripture. It says in the scripture, he's like, Jesus tells the parable of the two sons. He's like, there's one son who the father asks, hey, could you help me with something? And one son says, yes, I'll help you, and doesn't show up. And then the second son goes, no, I don't really want to help you, but ends up helping them anyways. He goes, which one is more honored? They said the latter. He goes, of course. We need to ask God to examine our hearts Examine our motives, examine our lives to bring it open. There are so many people who can dissect the Bible and don't allow the Bible to dissect them. Dissect my motives, Lord. Dissect my heart. Am I doing the right thing justly according to Scripture? I work with students so many times. Is this the right thing to do? I don't know. What does the Bible say? And I know that sounds lazy, but it's not lazy. It's the best answer that I can give. What does scripture say? Because guess what? If I were to operate how I want to operate, I'm going to work this out for my benefit. But when I operate according to scripture, it says it benefits everybody. The the next thing. Here are some things we can ask ourselves when it says to act justly, to love mercy. Is the Lord calling me to this so that he can grow my faith. There are a couple things that the Lord is calling you because he wants to grow your faith. And guess, and you get frustrated because you're like, God, I don't want to do that. You prayed the prayer. Watch, when we get to heaven, God's going to have so many receipts. Remember when you prayed that? God, make me more like Jesus. You said that. You prayed that. God wants to grow your faith. There are a lot of things that he calls you to that you don't want to do, but you don't understand that on the other side of that, your faith grows. When Peter said, Lord, call me to walk on water, he just said, come. He was growing his faith right in that moment. Some of you guys need to have a walking on water moment. He's just asking, like, will you trust me? I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to let you drown. You notice in that when Peter walked on water, Jesus didn't let him drown. Peter let himself drown because he took his eyes off the Lord. And just like Jesus, he doesn't go, here we go again, Peter. Let me go and get you out this water. Pulls him up. There are things that you're going through right now because the Lord wants to grow your faith. 
There are things that he's calling you to right now because he wants to grow your faith. Some of you guys are stagnant in your faith right now. Why? Because you don't know Jesus' love language. And you're like, Jesus got a love language? Lord, yes, he's got a love language. Anyone here did take the love language with their spouse? Mine is quality time. Tasha's is words of affirmation. If you're in a relationship and you don't know those things, you're failing right now, okay? Go and take the free test. Take the free test. It's free. It don't cost you nothing. Take the free test. You've been out here spending all this time with your spouse. She don't even want to spend time with you. She's like, give me a card or something. Buy me something. Hug me or something. Something. You've been missing the mark. I'm helping you out, man. I'm helping you. Some of y'all are sitting here so confused for years. I don't know why. I just bought her that. She don't want you to buy something. She just wants to spend time with you. It's your dumb self. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Lord has a love language. You want to know the Lord's love language? Obedience. It's obedience. It's no secret. Jesus said it. Those who love me will be obedient to me and my father. Those who love me will do the things my father tells them to do. Those who love me will do the things that I will do. It's no big secret. The Lord's love language is obedience. When you do what I do, when you live how I live, when you follow, my lo- when you follow the teachings that I'm teaching you, when you do that, that's obedience. I, I know that you love me. You don't even got to tell me you love me. I, I, sometimes I believe that in worship, I don't even have to say, Jesus, I love you. He just looks at my life and goes, yeah, you love me. I think there's so many times, I mean, who, who here knows it? We've met people in our own life that walk so intimately with the Lord that as soon as we meet them, we're like, you know Jesus, don't you? How you know? I can see it all over you. You look like his love. You move in his love. What's sad is that there are some believers who say they're Christian but don't love like Christ. How many of us, how many of us, someone says they're a Christian, you're like, you? (laughs) Christian where? On a Sunday? That happened to me in my own life. Happened to me in my own life. I was in high school. Someone... It was the most pivotal moment in my life when someone said, I made some type of joke, I said something, and he goes, man, and he's laughing with me at the joke too. I mean, it was a raunchy, stupid joke. I know it was raunchy and stupid. He goes, man, that was funny. I thought you were a Christian. Hit me right here. I'll never forget it. I thought you were, I thought, I thought you were a Christian. In that moment, I was a whitewashed tomb. I did all the practices of going to church, spent all this time in the church, and was dead on the inside. How do I know I'm operating in a religious spirit? You guys ready for this? You're not going to like some of these, but (laughs) buckle in. (laughs) How do I know I'm operating in a religious spirit? How do I know if I'm operating like a Pharisee? But y'all got to understand, this is why the gospel is good news, because it addresses the saint and the sinner that exists within me. It speaks to both of them. It's good for both of them. But how do I know if I'm living in a religious spirit? One, you judge someone by their outside appearance. You know, we've been to the churches. How could they wear that to church? Back in the 60s and the 70s, tattoos made you evil. 
We judge the outside appearance. How could they? Do you see the way they were looking? You see what they're going through? Look at them. They come to church looking dirty, and you don't even know that they're struggling, and you didn't even extend a hand to help. We're so quick to judge the outward appearance, and the Lord says, no, 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 I'm looking at their heart. I don't care what their clothes look like. Their heart tells their true story. How do I know I'm operating in a religious spirit? You try to earn God's love and forgiveness. How many of us are in that place right now where we're doing things because we feel like if I do this, I can earn his love. I can earn his forgiveness. If I do these good things, if I do these good deeds, then he will forgive me. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Other, other things, religions believe that. You have to earn your way into heaven. You have to earn your way for God to love you. And then you end up on this hamster wheel running over and over and doing all these things for the church that you don't even want to do. But you're like, I have to do these things and then God will love me and then God will forgive me. And God goes, I already love you. I already forgive you. Just come to me. But how could you do that, God? Jesus did it. You didn't have to earn it. You don't have to do all these things just to justify yourself. You see, that's a humanistic mindset. Let me do all these things and then I will feel good. It's like that Will Smith movie, what, Seven Pounds? Anyone ever see that? He gets into an accident and kills a slew of people. And so he goes his entire life doing brutal things to his body in order to repent for what he did. And I promise you, if there was a Christian in that movie, they would be like, bro, stop giving your body parts away. You don't need to do all that. Christ died for you. And though it was a mistake, and though you did wrong, and it, Christ died for you. A lot, listen, I'm, I'm really, like, it's really passionate. I'm really trying to set y'all free from this, and not by my own strength, but by the Lord's strength. I really want y'all to get freedom from this, because there's too many Christian performers who feel like they have to earn forgiveness. Some of y'all are living with a decision you made years ago, and you're like, I'll never do enough for God. And God is like, you're right, you'll never do enough, so just accept my forgiveness. Just take it. How do you know you're operating in a religious spirit? You critique everyone's journey. How many of us have been to that church, been to around those Christians who critique everyone's journey? You see what they're doing? Mind your business. <laughs> That's holy. That's in the Bible. I'm not being mean. It says, lead a quiet life and mind your business. I used to be a critic too. I used to be the biggest critic. Of all these prosperity gospel pastors, I used to critique them. There was one guy I critiqued the most. Made me happy to do it. I critiqued him so much. And then I met someone who met Jesus because of their ministry. And the Holy Spirit was like, see, mind your business. You don't know what I'm doing through them and in that church. Mind your, the most holy thing you can do is to be like, you know what? That's not my business. God is working in them the way that he's working on me. And guess what? My journey wasn't pretty either, so I'm not going to judge it. That's why we say we don't judge your journey. We don't judge it at all. There's a holy mind your business in the building. Hallelujah. <laughs> Shundai. <laughs> Whew. I felt that one, Holy Ghost. I felt that one. Some of y'all have been talking bad about someone who just needed your help. If you would stop critiquing them and just help them. Maybe you'd receive and stop. Maybe you'd stop being the whitewashed tomb that you can be and being like, you know what? Let me stop critiquing. Let me just go help them. Let me come alongside them. 
Let me ask them. If they have clothes that you don't like, if you're critiquing their journey, it's like maybe they just need me to come alongside and say, hey, can I, can I help you? Can I, what, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? Some of us are so critical of everyone else's journey, that's why we haven't forgiven ourselves. Because we're steady judging everyone else. You want to know how you're operating? You're a testimony, brother. You're a testimony. You want to know how you're, I wasn't, I didn't plan, I didn't sweat the first service. I was planning not to do in this service, but the Holy Ghost stirs you up. Uh, You want to know how you're operating in a religious spirit? You're all knowledge with zero revelation from the Holy Spirit. You know the Bible, you know the verses, you know them through and through, because guess what? There's some atheists and agnostics that know the Bible just as much as you do, but they have zero revelation of what, they, what it means. Some of us are so biblically smart. There are some of y'all sitting in the room who are so much more knowledgeable than me in Scripture. But I have a revelation because it changes my lifestyle. So I know the intimacy of the scriptures. How many of us know people who know the Bible through and through? We know Christians, they they can quote the verses with the best of them, but have zero revelation of the Spirit, so they have no power. I've had people quote to me, well, your Bible says, your Bible says that, that I'm an abomination. Your Bible says that I'm evil. Your Bible says, no, no, no. But my Bible also says that love covers a multitude of sins. My Bible also says to love your enemies. My Bible also says to show grace and mercy, to be the example of Christ. And see, that's the revelation of the Spirit. It shows you how to live out these things. You see, knowledge puffs up. I've met people who've been in and out of seminary, got four-year degrees, got masters of, uh, of, of divinity, got masters of theology, and know nothing on how to love someone. Jerry knows. Me and Jerry went to seminary together. There'd be times where we'd sit down and have great theological discussions. And I love great theological discussions. I love it. And in those moments, we'd have, oh, yes, the Bible. And if you study this, and if you do that, and if it says this, and it says this, and yet the Holy Spirit's like, I'm so glad you guys know the scripture. Have any of y'all loved someone today? Some of y'all, that's why some of y'all read your Bible like a checklist. It's like, yes, I know this verse, but you don't know the verse. I know the verse, but I don't know the verse. Until you start living it out, then maybe it, hasn't any, it has zero revelation to you. This is why people say, oh, the Bible is boring. The Spirit hasn't revealed it to you yet. The Spirit, even in the book of Numbers, which is a boring book. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. If you read the book of Numbers and you find joy in that, <laughs> You are sanctified. <laughs> the book of Numbers is boring. There are parts of the Bible that you're like, God, this is boring. And I read the book of Numbers and I was like, Lord, I don't know how people didn't die reading this because it is so boring. And then the Lord revealed it to me. He's just like, the reason why the book of Numbers exists is because all y'all say the devil's in the details. And I'm right here in these details. I'm all about the details. Why are y'all giving the devil so much credit? I'm in the details. Don't you know I put the earth on the axis so you don't die? Don't you know I know the chemistry of what happens in plants when the sun hits it? How is that boring to you? And I'm like, you're right. You're right. You serve. This is how you know you have a religious spirit. You serve out of obligation and not obedience. 
I have to do this. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to do nothing. Listen, don't come and serve at Pioneer because you feel like you have to do this. Don't come and serve at, with, please, just, I would rather you not serve at all than to serve with a bad spirit. That's what the Bible says, even about your tithe. He's like, if you're grumpy about giving money to the church, keep it. Keep it. It says that the Lord loves a, a cheerful giver. And that's not only giving of your finances, but that's giving of your time, talent, and treasure. It's coming into this church building like, man, thank you, Jesus. You know, I had a rough week, and Lord knows I almost cursed out my boss. And God, I know you're working on me, but thank you, Lord, that I get to serve someone today. I know my situation's bad, but Lord, I know someone else's situation could be worse. So thank you that I get to serve you today. Some of y'all don't even know that because you said yes and you served with a good attitude, you saved someone from committing suicide. Some of you don't, know, you don't even know that. You know how many testimonies I've heard of people who are like, after this church service, I was going to go home and take my own life. But someone loved me and they saw me. Someone put out a chair for me. Someone hugged me. Someone gave me a cup of coffee and they smiled at me and they asked how I was doing. Someone prayed for me in the parking lot. Someone greeted me here and I decided that today is not the day I'm going to take my own life. Do you know because you served out of obedience and joy that you saved someone from giving up on God altogether? Because they saw you loving like Jesus and living like Jesus, they're like, no, 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 not all churches are the same. I'm going to keep coming back to this one. I'm going to keep coming back because you, you, you're different. Don't serve out of obligation. Serve out of joyful obedience. God, thank you I get to give this cup of coffee to someone. Lord, thank you I get to say hello to someone. Lord, you know what? I, I know I do this every week, and I get tired, but I believe that because of how I work in excellence, someone is coming to the Lord. You want to know the most beautiful thing that I hear is when I get text messages, because Lord knows I hate the online stream sometimes. I love y'all online. I love y'all, the people. But setting up the online thing is so stressful. And every time I get really worked up, and I'm like, I'm ready for, to take this down. Someone comes with their little silly testimony. Pastor, thank you for having this. I was watching it online. It really changed me. It really changed my family. Thank you for doing this. And then God goes, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about me. It's always about me. And guess what? If the disciples were alive today, they'd be using this thing like nobody's business. So it's not about you. So, Lord, so online family, thank the Lord for y'all's testimonies. I'm serious. It really changes me every single time. Every single time I'm like, ah, no one's watching this. Someone, someone out there is like, man, that message really touched my heart, touched my life. And the same thing happens for y'all. You know, look, at, look at the reviews. I always look at the reviews. Look at the reviews on, on Facebook, on, on, on Google. Like, people say this thing, and I say this now, someone may leave a nasty review, but be gone. Your breath is too strong. Um, I say this, and I look at the reviews on Google, and what does it say? Man, I walked into a loving family. Like, they loved me. I came in with a mess. They loved me. They will know you love Jesus by how you love them. He says it. And the last thing, 
You want to be seen and heard all the time. But you don't want to pray and be quiet. So many of us want to be seen and heard. Everyone wants to be seen and heard. I need to be seen. I need to be heard. There's a parable in the Bible where it says the one time he was in tent, where a story in the Bible where Jesus goes one time they were at a temple and the Pharisee went up and he gave his offering. He goes, I give two times a week. And he ran his resume of all the good things that he does. And that there was someone sitting in the back of the room who had only two small coins. And they said, Lord, I know I'm a great sinner, but this is all I have. And then he asked him, which one walked away more justified? Says the one who sat in the back and was quiet and gave all he had. Go and do the same. My prayer is that this message doesn't fall on deaf ears. My hope is that when we walk out of here, we allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate what we do, to evaluate all our practices, and if there's any performance in our life that he does away with them, and that he draws us into intimate relationship with himself, that we serve not out of obligation, but we serve out of joyful obedience, because the Son of Heaven came and served us with joyful obedience. He took the cross, and with joyful obedience, he rised out of the grave. I pray that we do the same. Do you guys receive that today? Stand with me. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you right now for your goodness. Thank you for listening to the Pioneer Church Podcast. Let's go one step further. Subscribe and share this podcast with family and friends and see how this word changes their life. At Pioneer, we believe in journeying together. If you want to support this ministry, go to pioneerchurch.com give to continue to help us to reach people for Jesus. Thank you again for listening and God bless you.